Hello, and welcome to Playtime. My name is Andrew Barnett. I am a child therapist who lives and works in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. And this is a podcast dedicated to play therapy, um, specifically from a child-centered play therapy perspective. And on some of these podcasts, we have talked about children in a way that is expanding awareness of the experience of the child and Um, maybe calling attention to some ways that children experience emotions that are normally talked about. Today we're going to get back a little bit more to talking about what it looks like inside of playrooms and dealing with a specific scenario inside of a playroom. And that scenario is playing a role inside of children's games. Often when children are creating play... They will set up a scenario for us to play out with them. This could look like them taking on a certain role, say they're the cop, and then we're taking on a certain role, say we're the criminal. Then the child will play out this scene with us, essentially using us as a representation of a certain person inside of this play scenario. Now, with child-centered play therapy, we want everything to be coming out of the child. When the child is creating this scenario, we want the roles to be done by them and the scenes to be done by them. The plot of whatever we're playing out is done by them and the emotions inside of the play are also created by them. So as always, we're following the child's lead. We use techniques like the stage whisper, say. If a child puts us in a situation where we're expected to act or say something that we could whisper into them and say, like, "Uh, what should I say here? Or how do I feel about that? And in that scenario, we have permission to ask them a question because there's something that we need to know to be able to continue to play out this scene with them. We're not at any time directing the play or creating some aspect of it. We're simply living inside of the role that they have created for us. And therefore, there are times we need directions and there are times when it is more than appropriate to ask a question. This can get complicated, though. It's easier said than done. It is easier said than done to be a criminal inside of this play and to be embodying that criminal fully with whatever actions and motivations that they have to be able to do that fluidly inside of the play, to not interrupt the process as it's continuing, while also not stepping outside of that mold that has been created for us by the client. I wanted to do this topic because I believe that we have more of an opportunity inside of these play scenarios to, for instance, be more emotional during the play than we would say if we are doing more relational play with the child. Well, there's not a scenario that's being played out. They're just navigating their relationship to us or to the space. They're pushing boundaries. They're talking about something. All of those are very different from playing inside of a play scenario where the child is taking on a role that is not them. They are embodying someone else during this play. 
And we have taken on a role that's not us. We're embodying someone else during this play. And these play scenarios offer some distance and separation from normal life, where we may recognize that if we're doing some play where they're the dad and uh, we're the kid, or vice versa, that, okay, we're playing out something that happens inside of your life. We're playing out something that happens inside of your home. This dad that you're playing out is some version of strict, which is how I know that you perceive your father, and you're being strict with me. And then if I'm being the child inside of this play, then I can have some awareness that I might be you, and I might be responding to the role that you inhabit inside of your life. I might be embodying you as a person inside of this play. And that's a sacred and important responsibility. Whether whether you're embodying what you would perceive as the client's experience in their life, or if you're simply embodying a some manifestation that has come out of the client's unconscious of what a certain kind of person or role looks like. But let's stick with the scenario where they're the parent, you're the kid, and you can identify with some level of certainty that you are indeed playing out the role of the client in the client's life. Now, if I was having a conversation with the client about their life, which, you know, being child-centered would be something that they initiated. But if you're more directive, it could be something that you initiated. I would be hesitant, as has been said in podcasts prior, to point out specific emotions. Because I don't want to raise your defenses. Because I don't want to get in a debate with you about your emotions. Because I want to just take what you're saying from your experience and highlight it for you and make you aware of it. Inside of the role-playing, if we are embodying the client... There is that separation between the client's life and the play. There is enough distance there for a higher level of emotional safety, but we can also believe that we're still accessing that important relational and experiential place that the client lives in potentially on a daily basis. So let's say the client is being the strict dad, and we know that the client thinks that their parent is strict. And the client has described this. And we can use our empathy to have some idea of what the client's experience is when they are being treated strictly by their parent. Then inside of that role, we have permission to perhaps be a little bit more emotional than we would normally be. If we're being yelled at by the father figure in this scenario and we're the child, we can name like, "Mm, that didn't make me feel good when I was just yelled at, or I'm in timeout now and I don't like being in timeout, or I'm angry that I was just talked to that way. And those maybe are actually a little bit too far. Uh, It's difficult to name these things sometimes without actually being in the scenario that's set up. But I give those examples to say that due to the emotional distance in safety that we can experience and play out a higher level of emotion inside of that role. But those emotions, we have to be very sure, are still fitting into the client's conception of that situation. We don't want to be naming things that aren't happening for them at all in real life, or more importantly, aren't happening 
at all inside of the play. We don't want to be so lost in our ideas and conceptions of what the client's experience is that we become rigid in that sense and we become, say, have this desire inside of that play for the client to understand a given thing. We're still not trying to force awareness onto them. But we could also believe that the client does experience emotions inside of, say, their relationship with their parents inside of this play scenario that they are not fully aware of, or that they're aware of, but it's difficult for them to stay on those things because they don't have space for those things. They don't have a witness for those things. Oftentimes, they might not be allowed to feel those things that they feel, and they don't have permission from their environments to feel these things, but they do have permission inside of their environment with us to feel these things, and they do... And they are bringing in the scenario into play for a reason. Kids are always bringing these scenarios into play for a reason. I feel like inside of this podcast, I could keep going back and forth. I could say, yeah, you've got more permission to say more emotions because there's this emotional safety. And if you have been given the directions to feel or play out a certain thing, you want to embody it. You want to be fluid in it and comfortable in it. But I could also keep swinging back to, we're just hanging out with what the client is presenting. We're just being in that space. We're doing that carefully. We're not adding anything to it because we don't want the play to become about our reactions. We intentionally are not trying to be charismatic or, you know, use a funny voice or a funny accent or do anything in a way that the child would latch onto that thing because they like it and then because they want us to do it again. And then we end up doing the thing that they like us doing. But that becomes more about relational play. That becomes more about what's happening inside of the room in terms of them liking a particular thing. And that then becomes less about whatever has brought them unconsciously to bring up the scenario to begin with. Playing a role is a combination of balance. It's acting. It's improvising. It is bringing a scene to life, bringing a dynamic to life, bringing emotions to life. It's like living inside of a character in someone's dream. And the more fully we're able to embody that character in terms of playing a role and hitting that role and hitting the emotions in that role and hitting the dynamics in that role and even having our body sort of fit to like if I'm an authority person, maybe my posture's straight. If I'm trapped in a dungeon somewhere, maybe I'm crouched down. If I'm, say, someone who is uh, invested in the outcome or something, I could experience disappointment if that doesn't go the way I would like it to go, or some sort of joy if it does go the way I want it to go. But we're doing all of those things enough so that we're fitting it, but we're constantly aware of the child, of the way that they're acting, and we're still pointing out to them, to the degree that we can, what is happening inside of the room. I still like to do summarization inside of role-playing play, and that summarization is to name what's happening and name what has happened, and name some cause and effect things inside of the play. It's like, oh, I'm your child in this play. So I could say something like, I did this thing that you didn't like, and then you put me in timeout, and now I'm upset about it. But again, I'm speaking from the perspective of the character that I am at the time, while still fitting in a little bit of that therapeutic summarization 
at the same time, which I don't know how I feel about doing that. I can feel a desire to just, okay, we just want to be embodying this thing and living inside of this scenario that you have created. And at the same time, we're not all reliable narrators of our experience, even as adults. That's why going to therapy is helpful, because then you say all of the stuff that's happening in your life out loud, and you hear it, and you hear someone else say it, and then you're like, ah, it just makes more sense than it did before. I get it. I feel more empathy for myself. I can recognize the journey I'm on as a person, and I can recognize my struggles as a person, and I have a better understanding, and I move forward and can honor myself a little bit more in my day-to-day and feel less confused about what's going on. Summarization serves a similar function in play. If when a child is playing out a scenario, they are playing out some sort of aspect of their experience or something that they've witnessed that they relate to, and it's the thing that they want to imprint on the session and have us go through together during our time together, which they are aware is a therapeutic time. And so whether consciously or unconsciously, this is just simply what they want to do with another adult in the room who is focused on them and cares about them. And so that summarization can feel important. There are obviously characters who maybe have a more difficult time summarizing than other characters, but I still think that it's fittable into a session to continue to use some of those standard therapeutic techniques. Summarization would be a little bit easier than tracking. If you're a character who's tracking all the time, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, it still has to make sense inside of the context of the scenario. If you're playing at this a scenario, that's at the forefront. Anything else that you do as the play therapist either needs to fit into that, and it could fit into that in a way that highlights it, and that makes it more understandable, that makes it more emotional, that makes it more relational, that dives deeper into the scenario that is being played out. But if any of those therapeutic techniques appear like they're getting in the way of what's happening, if you are summarizing scenarios and then the child that you are in this play therapy session with says, yeah, now your character can't talk, that's a good thing to honor. The child is letting you know that, yeah, you're talking right now isn't very helpful and you have also received some pretty clear feedback and that feedback is like shut your mouth we could say that that's rude and we could say that ideally no one would say shut your mouth but i'm assuming that the child is saying this in a polite way or an impolite way it doesn't really matter what matters is that you have received the feedback that what you're saying isn't working and then stop doing it because control is something that is important for all of us to have and to feel. And control is obviously not the topic for this podcast, but we do want children to feel control and feel autonomous and feel like they are actors inside of their own experience, that they are in control of their experience. And they don't get to do that a lot of different places. And inside of these scenarios, we let them do that. When a child gives you feedback about the role you're playing, you take it. Another element of playing inside of a role, beyond having, say, more freedom, potentially, due to the distance from the client's experience, to add emotions, to add depth in doing that inside of the character that you're playing, is that the client has created a scenario to play out. And you could be someone, say, who's subservient in that scenario. In general, play therapy 
and child center play therapy promote self-efficacy and how we do that is if a client asks us to do something like hey can you go grab that piece of paper we might respond with something like well that's something you can do and that's an important thing that we do we name things for clients that they can do we're not their servants inside of the room to just run around and do whatever they want but in a play scenario if i'm someone who is subservient to the client and they ask me to do something in the role of this person say i'm a prisoner or a you know a child in a family or employee at a job and they tell me to do something and they are in the role of person with authority then i'll do that thing because we're inside of a play scenario and that can feel like an important thing to play out i haven't come across a situation yet where a child is intentionally creating play scenarios as a means of just getting me to do stuff that they don't want to do and then once that thing is done the play scenario stops that hasn't happened there is a suspension of some of the normal rules of play inside of these scenarios many many of the rules still need to apply of course like boundaries and physical safety and emotional safety and you know most of the rules (laughs) i would say still apply Self-efficacy and clients doing things for themselves is one that I will suspend inside of a play scenario. And that's under the belief that we're trying to create this thing as best we can. I do find it most helpful for myself to view client play scenarios like dreams. They're things that are coming out of the unconscious. There are all these roles that are being created and the space is being transformed and they're doing all of this like pretty automatically. That's, that's the sort of beautiful and wonderful thing about this to me is that when a play scenario starts rolling, children are able to say very clearly what the rules are and what they're not. When we're doing something that fits in with the scenario and when we're not, if the room is structured in the right way or if it isn't, they just know. And they know instantly if something is flowing with the scenario that they've created Or if it's not, it needs to be changed. And that's entirely, seems to be, just based on the way it feels. There's no formal logic to the play. And the rules, and this would be a good topic for another podcast, but can sometimes just shift. Sometimes it can devolve into chaos, or not even chaos. Sometimes it's like we're playing out this normal scenario and then... This is based on one I'm pulling up in my mind right now. We're in a store, and suddenly someone turns into a bird, and they fly away, and then suddenly they're at a new place with a new family that's birds that live somewhere else on top of a mountain. And the old place scenario is left behind. And that happens quickly, and the two aren't necessarily related to each other, but they are in that one character has moved to a new location in a new space and has transformed from a person into a bird. So there's a thread there. Good for us to keep in our awareness that, oh, this little person is this bird in this other scenario. But all of the rules shifted. And they shifted when they needed to. And they shifted in that moment for the child. And because these scenarios are very exact in their rules and roles and principles and liable to change depending on just whatever they need to change inside of the child, the child just knows that, okay, we're done with this one, or okay, this one has shifted into this thing, or okay, we just traveled 30 years back in time, or 30 years forward in time, or this person's dead, now they're back alive. They just created the way that they need to, and following that, 
and being with that and being a therapist and keeping our therapist hat on while also noticing, connecting to, and being aware of those shifts as they are happening, honoring the shifts as they are happening, and seeing how we fit in to the new scenario as it's happening takes a lot of dynamism on our part, takes a lot of awareness, takes a lot of us not being clattered at all by our own emotional junk and being connected to what is happening inside of the room and ready to be shifting at any time to being 100% invested in this scenario and feeling it out and being this role inside of it and highlighting things when we think that they're important and summarizing things when we get the opportunity and then shifting as soon as we need to shift and not getting caught up on that shift. It's complicated. It's difficult to describe. But these scenarios that children lay out are important. They come from them. No two children's scenarios are ever the same, even if they're domestic, even if there are lots of themes of you know, prison and trapping and subjugation and play. But they're all, they all have their own nuances to them. And they all change with time. And they all change in time in a way that is unique and specific to the child's own experiences and unconscious and personality. And if we're able to fit into those scenarios, that's the whole goal. If we're being asked to play a role, just to play that role and embody that role fully without moving too much inside of it, that it's that we're making it about us and about our own thoughts about the client, not being too little inside of it, that we're not giving life to the scenario that the child is, is trying to give life to for a particular reason that we believe is important, but simply embodying it fully as an actor and allowing it then to become whatever it will become and to become whatever it will become purely from the experience of the child. And it's on us to still hold the container. It's on us to create the boundaries of the space. It's on us to not be putting ourselves too much into it. But I can feel more freedom in there to make mistakes or mistakes will happen. And by a mistake, I mean being too emotional and being told to step back, summarizing sometimes and being told to stop summarizing. But through attempting to embody that role, the child will give us feedback on what's working and what's not. For some children, that feedback is explicit and verbal. And for some, who are maybe more shy or more timid, that takes more work on our part to identify when. It just doesn't seem quite right. But then it's also important to say that with that kind of child, I can feel a pull to want to bring more life to this thing. But I think that's my own personal problem. It is important above all else to give the child the space to become themselves inside of the play. But I do believe that for some children that there is a level of pulling them into the play by us being invested in the play, by not necessarily adding anything to it, but by letting them know through being invested, through embodying this character, through embodying whatever emotions are inside of that character, and through asking them through those stage whispers what we should or shouldn't do, 
We have ways to bring them more into it, even just energetically, and then pulling back energetically as they begin to fill the space more. Playing a role, I feel like I could talk about this all day, is so complex. And it's, the complexity is never-ending. It's a constantly shifting experience. It depends on the role you're playing. It depends on the child. It depends on where the child's at. But it involves a deep trust in ourselves. It's difficult to be an actor when you're self-conscious. To be on a stage and be self-conscious is to probably not do a very good job acting because you're not embodying the role. To be a play therapist and to be self-conscious also makes it difficult to do the role. And we do need to be self-conscious as play therapists. There are things we can't say. Again, we're holding the container. But if we're able to shed that, if we're able to learn as much as we can about play therapy and about this child and about everything else, and then as soon as we start playing out a scenario, just throw all that in the garbage and just be and trust in our ability to know what's happening, to know what's needed, and to play through that. It gives trust to the child to let us know If it's not going right, we trust ourselves to know if we need to change. And we'll always need to be shifting because these scenarios are shifting and the unconscious is shifting and we're tapping into different places inside of the child every time that we meet them. Every time that we meet them. And we do the best we can to be as prepared and knowledgeable and intentional as we can. But when we're playing out a scenario and giving life to something that's coming from inside of someone else, we also have to be ourselves. And that's all I've got for today on this episode of Playtime. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Also have a Patreon page that there's a link to in the description of the episode. And have that on there because I want to keep this ad free to have it be a, you know, a clear and fluid flow, (laughs) whatever that means, as a listening experience. And so if you, you know, are getting something out of this and like what you hear, yeah, consider, uh, consider helping me out with this. And again, thank you for listening and see you next time.